March, springtime, uh, we spent this, the month of March, uh, all four weeks, talking about how we as a church um, can love our neighbors. You know, what's our motto of our church? We're what? We're who? We're people who care. How do we express that? We express caring by, but, but we love people. We do things practical. And we've been talking about how can we do that um, primarily through telling people about Jesus. There's all kinds of ways to love somebody. And there's all kinds of ways to love our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, our circle of influence. But the ultimate way, the most important way, would be to help them to understand that, that, that God loves them so much that he sent his son Jesus. Jesus is God, came to earth to reveal what God is life like, and then to give his life in our place to say, because sin rules the world um, and we're all trapped in that, he would break that curse by, by literally dying in our place. That's what the cross is all about, you know? And so the greatest way that we could tell somebody that we love them is to help them understand that, that the Lord loves them. And so we're taking the six-week period of time between it was Easter and the six-week prior, and we're saying, let's just really be serious about loving people by telling them about Jesus. But the way we thought to do that is, let's break that six weeks into, into three two-week periods. In the first two-week period, we, we prayed and we had cards. and We prayed, God, who would you want me to write the name on a card and say, this is a person that I'm going to pray for that doesn't really know you or I don't know if they know you. I'm going to pray for them and, and I'm just going to, I just feel like you laid them on my heart. We did that for two weeks. And then two weeks we said, how can we serve them? You know, we've been doing that. Say, how can I serve me? Like, like you could have shoveled their snow. Hey, you could have shoveled their snow yesterday. Or you could say, let's get a cup of coffee or something like that. Let's go hang out. Let's just call them on the phone and, 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 and reconnect maybe if you've been disconnected. And then the last two weeks leading up to Easter, it's saying, now let's be bold and ask them to join us on Easter Sunday, which we're calling day one. We're calling it day one, meaning to say a kind of odd name. No, day one meaning for some people, it could be the day that their life really begins, meaning they meet Jesus as their Savior, and it's the first day of the rest of their life with Jesus. It's their day one. You know, the day Jesus came out of the grave was, was day one for the whole world. Like, the whole world changed, literally, because the Son of God rose from the dead, and now we can all have a right relationship with him because he's our resurrected Savior. And, and so we're saying the best thing we could do to love people well is to help them um, come to know Christ. So what we've been doing in the month of March in these four weeks out of the six, is we've been talking about how we can help other people meet Jesus. And it started off, and I'm reason to repeat these every time I'm talking about it is because I think if you, didn't, if you missed any week, I'd encourage you to go to our website and listen to what you missed. So week one, Pastor Paul talked about relationships. How do we build relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus? The next week, Pastor Mitch talked about, who, by the way, is on vacation today. So pray that Pastor Mitch and Amy and their family have a great vacation. But Pastor Mitch and Amy, um, Pastor Mitch talked about, and it was, I assigned him the topic because he's so much better than me, listening before talking. How do we hear somebody before we can, we can ever actually engage with them? Last week, I talked to you about how you could use four words to basically explain the, the gospel story. From Genesis to Revelation, I could explain it in four words and you could explain the gospel. And so I'd really encourage you, if you missed any of those, to listen to those because we're trying to give you some really important information on how you can love your neighbors well by telling them about Jesus. Now today, the last Sunday of, of March and the last Sunday of these four weeks talking about, about helping people come to Christ, um, I want to wrap up and I want to talk to you about um, some components that I just have found in my life and from Scripture 
that are necessary in the process of, of helping somebody come to know Christ, that you're a, you're a key person in it. What things are important in you for you to help somebody else in the process? And I want to start with looking at a situation found in Scripture that Jesus found himself in. Um, and I look at this because it's an explanation in the Scriptures, I believe, about what's really going on around us right now. And we're going to look at what's the, situ- what's the nature of what's going on right now. And then we're going to say, and because of that, what things can we do? What components can we do to join Jesus in his mission of seeking and saving people who don't yet know him? So grab your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the, the Gospel of Matthew. Or fire up your phone, or you can also read along on the screen. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew chapter 9, we're just going to read a couple verses, starting in verse 35. Give you a moment to find it. Matthew 9, 35. It says this. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech or ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We'll stop right there. I find this kind of amazing that this was written 2,000 years ago. Because to me, I look at this and say, this could be written today. So let's just kind of look at what's going on here. Here's Jesus. He's going from town to town. This is what it says. It says he's teaching about the kingdom of God. What's that mean? It says he's teaching that God's rule and God's reign is, 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 is a present reality in the world today. That when we come to know God through Jesus, his son, we literally enter into his rulership. We enter underneath his rule and reign, and we live with him as our, in essence, as our king. And that anyone can come into the kingdom of God through Jesus, his son. So that's what he's going out preaching. He kept preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now because Jesus was on the scene. So he's teaching about the kingdom of God. It says also that he's going around doing good deeds. It says he's helping and he's healing people from city to city, right? So that's what's going on. But now notice what it says about the people. This is why I said it could be from our headlines today. Notice what it says about the people he's engaged with. Look at verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. It says that Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. The New, the New Living Translation says it this way. They were confused and helpless. They were confused and helpless. And it says because of that, they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. Sheep don't know where to go without a shepherd leading them. They're just, they're just wandering and they're confused. And I want you to be honest with me today. If you were to describe our current society, And I'm going to say this, especially our youngest people in our society. Could you come up with a better description? I couldn't. Confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. People look around today and they see a world in crisis. I don't say this, especially young people who are being formed in our current world because they don't know a culture that's different. They're being formed now. And they're being formed in a time where they just went through a, a global pandemic. And you can say it was, it, was, it was a big deal or not a big deal. It doesn't matter. If you were being formed in this time, it was a big deal. It was a big deal because they've learned 
to not trust. They learned that they couldn't trust. They didn't know who to listen to. They were bombarded by fear every single day. And that's kind of the world that people are being raised in today. And in our world today, people being raised today, being formed today, they have virtually no of the safeties that society has always known, the societal guardrails that have held people and helped them be formed and helped protect them and helped them just feel at ease are, have really been removed. So now a person's raised, they don't know what gender they are. Family structure is in question. Do you need a dad and a mom? All these things that forever no one questioned. And all of a sudden now society has ripped off the guardrails and there's incredible confusion everywhere. There's no, there's no easy place just to rest and to grow and become. People today are being raised in such a way that they question all authority. That authority, they don't think they can, quite, they can trust anybody. Who can they trust? Because if you watch in the news, you can't seem to trust anybody who's put in a position of authority. And is that as a result, what's the situation in our world today? I'm not talking in Africa where shoes are going. In Ozaki County, what's the condition today? Despair is off the charts. Anxiety is off the charts. Suicide is off the charts. Drug use, off the charts. Alcoholism, off the charts. Higher than we've ever seen in our lifetimes or other people's lifetimes before, we have a society that is confused and helpless. I like that word, dispirited. It's saying like their spirit is gone. Sounds like some bad news, right? But look what Jesus says. Look at what Jesus says about a culture like that. It was a culture 2,000 years ago. It's our culture today. And look what he says about that culture. He says, the harvest is plentiful. He looks at that situation. He looks at the people like sheep without a shepherd. He looks at dispirited people, people who are confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he looks and goes, oh my goodness, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus looks at people who are confused and helpless and he says, you know what? They are finally ready to find the truth. They are finally open to the gospel. They're open to meeting Jesus. You see, friends, the difficulties of life have opened up their heart to God's love and truth because they're finding that nothing in society apart from, apart from Jesus is working. And there's a statement, a statement that's being tossed around a lot lately, and I think it's true. This is woke is broke. It's just saying the way we're doing stuff isn't working. It's not working. But we can look at Jesus and realize he is. Jesus looked at a situation just like ours and says, listen, this is an opportunity to help people find peace, find love, find joy, find contentment. Church, I really believe this is an accurate picture of our society today. The chaos of the past few years, the breakdown of the family, the dismantling of our established societal norms is bringing people to a place where they're open to Jesus because it says, like Jesus, people are confused and scared because culture isn't working. And I believe this is why in, in America and even in our church and the churches around us, we are seeing something happen we have not seen in a very long time especially since pre-COVID, about COVID. We are seeing a sense of an awakening, a sense of a renewal. 
And it's happening, it's happening all over. And if you watch the news at all, you've heard of things like Asbury Seminary, where at Asbury, it's interesting, it wasn't the seminary, it was Asbury undergrad. Um, the seminary where all, Bible, all students studying the Bible, it didn't happen there. It happened with the undergrads who were studying how to become nurses or whatever. That's always this move of God. And all of a sudden, people from hundreds of thousands of people from around the world start flooding this one little town and saying, because the presence of God was so real. What's interesting is the, the, the people who have been there and said what had happened, it wasn't like moves of God in the past. You know what it was all focused on? Peace and hope. The people would say they'd sit in the room and the presence of God was so real and it was peaceful. Why? Because God's looking at a world that's dispirited and he's going, you need my presence. I'm real. And his very real presence is there. And we're seeing that kind of stuff happening all over the place. Just in our, our fellowship of churches in Wisconsin, Northern Michigan District, one of our churches in, in our area in Wisconsin, it's not a real big church, just, re, just said, the guy just made a post. He goes, we can't explain it. We've had 71 people come to Christ in the last two months. Another church, yeah, so 71 people at this church, and they're like, we don't know, we can't explain it. Another church, a tiny little church in our district said, we have been spiritually dead forever. And all of a sudden, people are getting saved and people are being physically healed in our church. And they're going, we can't explain it. What I think is going on, friends, is there's just what Jesus saw here on that day. People are distressed and dispirited like a sheep without a shepherd. And they're going, there has to be a different answer. We're seeing the same thing at Portview. For Portview, the last couple years has been tough. Coming out of COVID, you know, you look around, you're not used to seeing empty chairs at Portview, and we've had empty chairs. We're not used to seeing that. We're used to seeing baptizing people regularly, and all of a sudden the baptistry tank's not been open so much or filled so much. It's been a couple years of, 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 of people coming out of COVID, and people are distressed, and things are going on in our society, but what's happening all of a sudden now? I'm getting reports from you people constantly saying, you know what, I've been inviting my husband to church forever, and he said he's going to come on Easter. I've been inviting my daughter forever, and she said she's going to come on Easter. One person told me recently, they watched a movie with their husband. At the end of the movie, the husband prayed to receive the Lord, who would never do that. For all these years, we're starting to see story after story after story of people saying, hey, it's, 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 it's working. Friends, I think we're in this incredible, great opportunity, just like Jesus was describing that something good is stirring, and I believe it's because the people of our culture are confused and helpless, and that makes us search, that we're searching. Now, what was Jesus' response to this? He says, here's the situation, and I see there's a great opportunity. What's his response? And his response is really interesting, and I think it's I think it's maybe a little different response than we might think, and I want to explain what I mean by that. Jesus says this. He looks at, the, at all the people. He says, hey, they're, they're confused and dispirited, and man, the fields are ripe for harvest, meaning there's people, they need me. They're going to respond to me. And look what he, what he says. He says to his disciples, so therefore pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest to send more workers into his field. He tells disciples, people who follow him, us if you're a believer in Jesus, to pray for more workers, for more people to go to those who are confused and helpless with the message of hope in Jesus. And I think that's a really interesting thing that Jesus does here. I think it's a little more involved than we think. I don't think it's just about praying for more people. He says, pray for more people to share the gospel. Think about this. Is it possible what Jesus is doing here 
is actually trying to get his own followers that he's talking to involved in going to those people. Those who are saying that they're already followers of Jesus, but aren't actually involved. He's trying to get them involved in reaching out. And you say, what do you mean? I mean this. It's kind of like me going to my house and my grandkids have been over. I worship my grandkids. They're, that worship's too high, not like Jesus, but I adore my grandkids. Right? And I got a lot of grandpa time in the last week. Got to take them, take them to Cabela's and look, let them look at the fish. That works. You know, and buy them lots of food and lots of candy. And, they, and they're, they're happy. But I've had a lot of papa time lately. But imagine my grandkids are over. And when they're over, when they leave, you grandparents, you know this, it looks like a cyclone went through your house. Right? It's like every toy in the planet's out. And you can't hardly walk three steps without having, without having a kid's toy. It's kind of like, you know, the kid, grandkids are over playing and then asking the grandkids, hey, it's a mess. Would you, let's pray to God that God would send someone to clean up the house. That's what's going on here. He's looking at the disciples. He goes, well, let's pray to God that somebody will clean up the house, Callie and Levi, someday Josie. Well, if I did that, we'd say, well, I'd be like praying, well, let's, let's, let's pray to God that, that somebody cleans up the house. What am I really trying to do? I'm really trying to get them to understand that, that we're going to pray for them to get to clean up. Somebody, somebody needs to clean up the house. Oh, maybe they're the ones who ought to help clean up the house. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to get his, yes, he wants us to pray so that more people will join, absolutely, but he's trying to get those of us who oftentimes are standing on the sidelines to also get involved in picking up a few toys and putting them in the toy box. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. If he can get us to pray for more people to get involved in reaching people who don't know him yet, who are feeling lost and dispirited, obviously what's going to happen is going to stir our hearts to get involved and it's going to get more people involved because we're engaging with God in prayer. Does that make sense? So here's my hope. That as we pray and we join together in our, in our group, I mean, I heard a report yesterday from one of the prayer groups that meets in West Bend um, that you guys just had, literally said, we had church last night. Because we've been having all these home prayer meetings. They're like, we have church. And they said what was secretly, don't tell anybody, secretly has been our hope, is we start these prayer groups for six weeks and they'll continue on. Don't tell anybody that was our real intention. Um, that they'll continue. And they're like, we're going to keep doing this. And I'm like, oh, what a surprise. You know? Um, and so you've been praying with each other for people that you have on your, running your cards and you're praying that God will help draw them in and giving you opportunities to share them because you love them. We're good neighbors. You love them so much. You want them to have the most important thing in the world, which is a relationship with Jesus. So my hope is that we pray together, you know, for our circles of influence, that our hearts are stirred to join with Jesus in his mission of seeking and saving those people who don't know him yet. And that, that, will, that, that for every one of us, it will move past good intentions to actions. We'll do something about it. And because we're going to be involved in that, I believe we're praying and we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to pray. So he's going to stir our hearts. We've been looking at then these last couple of weeks of what are the things we can do when our hearts are stirred. And what I want to do with the rest of our time together is I'm going to give you four things that I think, components that I think are essential 
for you in the process of helping someone else come to meet Jesus further as, as their own Savior so that they can have their own day one. So I want to I draw these points out from a real-life story. So can I tell you a story today? A real-life story really happened, but it's, I, I'm pulling the story out from a number of years ago because it involves Josh when he was little. Is that all right, Josh? He was only nine at the time. And so I'm going to pull it out because the story has, I think, it has all the components that you need to understand. And you'll, under, you'll, you'll, you'll grasp it as a story. So at nine years old, when Josh was nine, Brett was six, we moved from a church we had planted and pastored for 10 years. We came and we started a new church. We actually were asked to shut down a failed church plant and restart another one. And we got there and, and this new place. So we're, we were youpers at the time before we moved. Youpers. And so... Uh, um, we were used to snow. We moved down to a new location, and it was a totally different world. And so Josh is nine, Brett's six, and, and we get in there. And Josh, does anybody know that Josh is kind of social? <laughs> a little social. And he had no friends. And he had all these friends before, and now we come, he's a brand new kid. And it was, he was having some struggles, and, and it's kind of like figuring out, how do I make friends? And, and so I joined, uh, Josh and I joined Cub Scouts. Anybody ever been to Cub Scouts? Cub Scouts is great. Um, we joined Cub Scouts for Josh to meet some kids. So we got to know this. So here's Ozaki County Cub Scouts. is different than other people's Cub Scouts. I don't know if it's still this way. Like every parent is involved. I used to get to go into the schools and promote Cub Scouts and recruit kids. It was amazing. And so, um, so every parent's involved. So we would go to Cub Scout meetings at a, at a couple different guys' homes. And uh, eventually we became a den, you know, and the Cub Scouts were in our house and Brett's was in our house. And, and, but anyways, Josh's group was at a couple other guys' houses, and we'd go there. And Josh became really good friends with some of the kids there. And at work, Josh became friends. And, and I got to meet all the dads. And one of the dads, and his name is Dave, got to know Dave. And uh, Dave was a really nice guy. He liked to fish. And anybody who likes to fish is a good guy. Amen. Amen. So I like to fish, he likes to fish, we start fishing together, start building a relationship, our kids become really good friends, and we start doing stuff together, and one day we're at Cub Scouts, and as clear as a bell, out of the blue, the Holy Spirit literally speaks to me and says, Dave's going to get saved. And it was like that, that clear, like Dave's going to get saved. So fast forward, so we just keep building a friendship, Suzanne and I start connecting with Dave and his wife, and uh, um, now remember, I'm a... I'm an Assemblies of God church planter. People in Wazaki County, they say, the Assemblies of what? And I always say this. Well, we're only the world's largest Protestant organization. We only have 75 million members. You know, I'm like, we're huge. You know, we're, we're, but up here, this is where I'm from. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Wisconsin Lutheran. I mean, I'm a Lutheran. We're born and raised, and we don't know about anybody else. You know? And so, anyways, um, we're part of that. And they're real sus- suspect of me. Who's this guy? He's a church, what's a church planter? You know? So we have to really work hard at building this relationship, and they're very suspect of us. All of them were. And uh, so but we start befriending this couple. We start going to doing stuff. And then after a little while at Cub Scouts, Josh is making all his friends, gets in school, makes all his friends, and he's like, I hate Cub Scouts. <laughs> I don't want to go to Cub Scouts. And I'm like, uh, sorry, dude, you're going to Cub Scouts. And like, why? I said, you're finishing until whatever the next step was up, Weebelows or whatever. I said, you're staying until then. He's like, I don't want to stay in Cub Scouts. I said, you don't have a choice. He said, why? I said, because Dave's getting saved. I said, God spoke to me. Dave's going to get saved. So I forced Josh to stay in Cub Scouts for many years. And um, 
we ended up getting involved. We got Brett involved, whether he wanted to or not. You know, we became a den leaders and had the Cubs at Cub meetings at our house and all this stuff. And we did this for a number of years. And we worked on this one couple. We befriended them all about this one couple. It's just like, God spoke to me. Dave's going to get saved. And so, um, and you know what it's like to raise a kid who doesn't want to go to something? So it was, it was, it was wonderful. Let me tell you, it was wonderful. But anyways, um, so where this church we're planting starts growing and we're doing events and we try to invite them to things and we'd go to their house like, they love to play games. I'm not a game player. And here's the deal too, they wanted to play card games and like, I don't ever play cards. So every game we ever played, I lost. I also don't like losing. And so it would be like, I'm putting myself in a situation where every time I do this, I'm going to get smoked. And so I was like, oh, but Dave's going to get saved. And so fast forward four years of doing this, and we are asked to leave where we are and go to Cambodia to teach church planting, and we accept that, that opportunity. So we're going to Cambodia, we're leaving. And at the very end, we did a play at church. At, at Christmas, I wrote a Christmas play, and they came, and Dave got gave his heart to Christ, and his wife gave her heart to Christ, and they're still in that church. As a matter of fact, the church went through after that some really hard times, and they were the pillars who held it all together. That couple, the church wouldn't exist; it would not have survived if that couple wouldn't be there. Now, let me take that whole story and explain to you some things out of that story that illustrate for you what what you need in your life if you're going to be able to be used of God, I think, to help people come to know Christ, which I believe is the most important thing on planet Earth for any one of us. I believe that's why we have air in our lungs, that God gave you breath today. He gave you breath for some other reasons, to be a good husband, father, you know, mother, dad, um, citizen, everything else, but he, the most important reason is so he can use you and me to help other people find him. And so, let me explain something from this story, some components. The first thing from the story is this. It's relationship. So there's going to be four words, relationship. Now, Pastor Paul did a great job of explaining this a few weeks ago. And I, as I mentioned earlier, if you didn't listen to that sermon, go online and listen because I'm not going to go into that kind of depth. But I just want to explain with, with the situation with Dave, because I kind of mentioned something else um, that, that I want to add to what Pastor Paul said. Um, is that on purpose, we went to great lengths to build a relationship um, with Dave. Um, the only reason we stayed in Cub Scouts, that was every single week of my life, I went to something my kid did not want to go to. Joy upon joy. Every single week of my life, I went to something that my son didn't want to be part of after a little bit of time. Um, why? Because Dave's going to get saved. Um, Suzanne and I spent a lot of time with them on their terms. Now, we went fishing together. That was his, him, both of our terms. But all the play, game playing and that kind of stuff, not my, not my cup of tea. But we did it on their terms. All, and we didn't build a friendship with them just so we could try to say, it's just for Jesus. No, we built a friendship with them because they valued, mattered to God, and we're still friends with them. And even if they had never come to know Jesus, we'd still be friends with them. And at a really difficult time in our life, they played a really huge part in our life many years later at coming to aid us in something as a family. So um, they'd still be, they'd be our friends no matter what, even if they never knew Jesus um, as their Savior. Um, but we went to great lengths to build a relationship so that we had trust with them, so that we had the opportunity 
after four years, after a long time, of helping them come to know Christ. And we're just a little part of it. All kinds of other people have parts to play. We just played a little part of it um, in our situation. But we had to build a relationship on purpose. And relationship is key. And I, I want you to understand this in a way that maybe will help illustrate the point. How important that, that it doesn't work without relationship. It just doesn't work. So imagine it's Saturday morning. And imagine you actually have a Saturday morning at your house where the family's together, <laughs> right? And you're all eating pancakes around the table. And somebody knocks on the door. Now, in your house, you can see out the front, through the window and front door, and you see standing at the front door two very nice-looking young men with black pants, white shirts, and elder badges. All right? You've been there. Be honest what happens in your house. You said it. You know, let's say people always, the last one to put your finger on their nose means that you're it. Or everybody goes, not me, not me, not me, not me. And in our house, it means dad's got to go to the door, generally. And we all run like, like rats off a sinking ship. It's not because those guys aren't nice. They're very nice. Why do we run like rats off a sinking ship when they show up at the door and say, may I talk to you about Jesus, your spiritual life today? It's because people don't want to discuss personal issues with a stranger. And talking about our faith is the most personal issue in the world. And people don't want to talk to a total stranger about their, their life situations. So in order for us to have the opportunity to talk with a person about their faith questions, about their concerns in life, about their maybe hurts that happened in the church, maybe they were hurt somewhere else, in order to do that, we first have to prove to them we're their friends. And we'll be their friends no matter what. We'll be their friends if they, love, they serve Jesus or they don't serve Jesus. You see, friendship is the key. Nothing happens without the relationship. So that means that, that we as ones Jesus is sending into the harvest field need to on purpose build relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus and we need to do it on purpose and sometimes it takes dragging your 10-year-old kid to Cub Scouts even when he doesn't want to go. I'm not using that as a parenting adage. It kind of worked, but, but, uh, but uh, I'm not insisting you do that with your kids. But we do that. So ask yourself these questions. What interests do you have? What things do you like to do? What groups outside of the church are you part of? What neighbors live around you? What relatives or coworkers or friends do you rub shoulders with in your circle of influence? Some of those people don't know Jesus yet. And I would just say this. Take the initiative to honestly develop your friendship with them to the point that when opportunities are then presented, they will trust you enough to be able to talk about their serious things in, your, in their life because you're not like the person with the black pants, white shirt, elder badge knocking on the door. You're actually somebody they love and trust. So, friends, nothing happens without relationship. Make sense? So, let's move on to the next sexual component. And it's now all about the relationship. So now I have a relationship, right? I'm building a relationship. What's the next thing I need in that relationship for, for I think, for it to work? And when I'm going to say this one, it's not going to be the same all the time, but this is essential. And it's this, you need the leading of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit's leading. With Dave, I told you that one night I'm at Cub Scouts, and just like the Spirit just spoke to me, Dave's going to get saved. You know what I didn't tell you? That Dave had a praying mom and sister who attended. You know what church they attended? 
support view before I was ever, I wasn't the pastor, I wasn't pastoring here, I was pastoring a different church. And his grandma, his mom and his sister attended Portview and prayed for him for years and years and years and years and years. So I was just a little teeny, teeny part of it. But I, had, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit that said, Dave's going to get saved. Now, I think the Spirit said it because praying mom, praying sister, praying, praying brother-in-law. But I would tell you this, without hearing that voice of the Lord, having like this word from God, when Josh didn't want to do Cub Scouts, we would have quit. Because I went, praise God, I don't have to do Cub Scouts on Tuesday nights. Woo-hoo! Let's go fishing. Right? But I, but I heard the voice of the Lord. And so here's my best advice I can give you. Learn to live your life in such a way that you obey, you obey that still, small voice that just speaks to you out of the clear blue about something that you just weren't thinking about at the time. Meaning you're doing dishes and all of a sudden the thought comes in, I should, I should call Bill. I believe that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. Who knows the name of a great pastor just passed away named Jack Hayford. Randy, you may be one of the only ones other than me. You know, Jack Hayford, superstar in the church world, just passed away. Um, and I had the privilege two times in my life to spend one week with Jack Hayford in something called the School of Pastoral Nurture where he took 30 pastors and he spent 12 hours a day with us for a week and just poured into our lives. It's what he did in his retirement. He said God told him to invest in the pastors. And so um, I got to do that. And one day he was praying for me. So Randy, Jack Hayford's laying hands on me and praying for me in a room. And we're in a classroom. And he says something to me um, that I think was very prophetic. And, And I said, Pastor Jack, how do you know that was God? You're saying to me like, well, the Lord just told me this. How do you know? He said, Mark, I want you to do something for me from this point on. He goes, you're a person who believes in full, being full of the Holy Spirit. From this day on, I want you to do something for me. Every time you hear that still small voice that doesn't say it came out of blue, I just want you to act on it. And I started from that day forward, acting on it. You know what I found out? It was the stinking voice of the Holy Spirit. That I'd call somebody on the phone and they'd say, how in the world did you know to call me today? Like, I literally am having the worst day of my life. How did you know? Well, your name just, your, your name just popped into my head. It's the Holy Spirit. You see, understand something, friends. The Holy Spirit's role in the Godhead. We have this Trinitarian God, and I know we don't understand that. And scripture just scripture refers to it, but doesn't give us a whole lot to understand. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're in perfect unity, but they're, but they're individual. They're distinct. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to elevate Jesus. It's to make Jesus known. And the way he's going to make Jesus known is he speaks to people who already know him, who can hear the voice of the Spirit, to go talk to somebody else who doesn't yet know the the Holy Spirit doesn't know Jesus. So the main job of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is to get me to listen to him so I can help somebody else. That's the role. That's the, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit. It's that little voice that comes in our head that pops in and says, now if the little voice says you go rob the liquor market, that's not the Holy Spirit. But that voice that says go and talk to Sue, go buy that person lunch, by that, somebody told me recently in our class on Wednesday night that all of a sudden they, they felt, I was supposed to buy a cup of coffee for this certain person. They got there and like, how did you know I didn't have my cup of coffee today? I couldn't get it. It's like, 
I believe it's the Holy Spirit building relationships so that someday you can help that person come to know Jesus because that's the main reason we have air in our lungs is to help people understand. So I just say take the chance on acting on that still small voice. So call that person who comes to your mind out of nowhere, arrange that lunch when you feel like you should do it, you know, and, and say, hey, let's just get together. They go, well, I was just thinking about you or, boy, I'm really in a bad place. I really need that. That'd be great. And you'll learn that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So we have build a relationship. We listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. What's the next thing we need? Crucial next thing, time. Time. It took our friendship with Dave and his wife four full years until it happened. And there's some people that we've had relationships that we've intentionally built relationships because we felt the Spirit said to do it and we've invested a decade in them before they came to know Christ. It took years and years of friendship um, with Dave and his wife four years later. So often what we think is, we're going to explain about Jesus to somebody and poof, magically, oh, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Would you pray for me? It doesn't usually work that way. It's great when it happens, but it really doesn't generally. Why? Because first, people have to know they can trust you. That'd be their friend. Then they have to be honest with themselves about where they're really at when they see something different in you and maybe you're talking and they see there's something different than what they believe. Then they need to process the good news of the gospel and say, but so you're saying what I've been, how I've been thinking is not how God says it and how God says it is different and God's way is best. It takes time to process all of that. All that takes time. And I found there's a really helpful tool that gives me patience in this process. There's something called the Engel scale. And, and we have a, a picture of it. And let me just explain the Engel scale because I know there's a lot of words on there. It's basically this. This tool has helped me so much in this idea of being patient. So just the main thing to look at is the, the gold bar in the middle. Think of it this way. Think of a graph that's got zero as the baseline. Zero is right here. And that's the person coming to know Christ. Negative 10 down here is they know nothing about Jesus. Matter of fact, they can't stand Jesus. And positive Tim up here, they are the Apostle Paul planting churches and, you know, raising dead people. Okay? And we're all focused on this zero line. But here's the deal. In your relationships with people, a lot of your life is just taking somebody from negative six to negative five. And negative three to negative 2.7. And that's what you're doing. You're just helping people. It changes everything. You become more patient when you realize every day you're not trying to close the deal. Every day you're not trying to say, but, but what are you going to... So, so listen to me, especially some of you stronger-willed people with your kids and your, and your spouses. If every day you talk to them and you're just saying, did you receive Jesus? They aren't going to answer the phone. All you're trying to do is to get them from negative 6 to negative 5.7. Keep helping them come up because it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the work. He's just using you to help them come closer to Christ. And then, so what happens? People say to me, Pastor Mark, you know, when you preach, people come to Christ. I always say that's because you bring them in and they're at negative .006. And I explain the gospel to them and they go, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit works on them. And they go, I received Christ. Other people took them from negative 10 to right at the doorstep. And I just give people an opportunity to say Yes. Then what's above, this, what's above that? What's above that then is, is just helping people grow in Christ-likeness. It's discipleship. You know, and they, they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow in, in Christ-likeness. So it takes time. 
So listen, listen, just understand, in almost every situation, you just need to be patient. The Ingle scale helps you with that. Let me tell you the last, the last thing that you need out of these four is this. And this is one people overlook, and so I included it. Community. A community of people who are Christ followers. Remember I told you with, with Dave that we invited him into our family, and we became very close as families. But then we invited him into our church family. So our youth pastor became friends with their son. Um, the son started going to youth group. Um, we invited them into our church family. As our church was growing, we invited them in. They did stuff with us as a, with different people in our church community. They got to know not only us, but our church family. And it happened that just as we were leaving for another ministry to literally move overseas to Cambodia, that's when they came to Christ. And I thought it was strategic timing from the Lord because they crossed the zero line right as we were exiting and they connected with, the, with um, the new pastor who was on staff with us, who became the lead pastor. And they connected with him. They already knew him. They connected with him, and he helped them now go, go forward. They weren't, contingent, they weren't connected to us that much anymore, and we were, we were living 12 times on the way on the other side of the planet. And so um, it took a community of people. Community, I think, especially in this world today, is essential because people have to see that it works before it works. You know, I've always said this. Um, you're the nicest group of people on planet Earth. And if I bring people to meet you, they meet you and they go, these are the nicest people on planet Earth because we're people who care. And so you get to bring them into our world, into your world, and they experience something of the reality of the love of Christ among the people of God. And that's so important. There's a guy who wrote a book. His name is Fitch. He wrote a bunch of books, a big, long book. I'm going to refer to something out of there that he talks about, and I've shared this with you in the past, the, the three functions of community and reaching people. And, and I just want you to, to look at this once um, because Fitch is his, his, I'd say don't bother buying his book because it's about that thick and it's all this right here. Um, he talks about he talks about three different communities you need to create in your life if God's going to use you to help other people come to find Christ. And the first one is the close circle. And the close circle means this. We right now are the close circle. We talk different here than we talk in the world. We act different here. We think different here. Because we all, for the most part, a lot of us in here, most of us in here, have said yes to Jesus. And so in this close circle, we, we understand things. So we openly just say, would you pray for me? You know, we act certain ways in here. We talk about scripture. We do different things. That's, that's how we live in, the, in the, our church world. And that is essential. You need that community. People who think they can live without that don't usually do very well. But then the next thing, he calls it the dotted circle. Notice the dotted circle is simply the close circle with some entry points into it, some open spots. And what this is, is when you take your Christian people, your church friends, and you make room to bring other people into your world with them. For instance, you have a Packer party. What will the Packer parties be like this year with Jordan Love? I'm not sure. But um, we have a Packer party, and um, you have seven of your friends from church and two of your friends who don't yet know Jesus. And they come in and they go, do you know that you can enjoy watching a Packer game without getting hammered? I didn't know that was possible. Do you know they can have, these guys had a blast? You know, that was fun? And they go, you Christian, I've already heard you Christian people. John, I've heard you guys are weird. 
you know what? You're not weird. You're just actually really nice. It's the dotted circle that you let them come into our world. That Fitch says the next part is the half circle. And I'm not sure why he came up with that. Although he couldn't come up with that symbol. It means when then the people in the close circle will go out into the world. So we go out into the world and we go to the world to serve and to learn. Not as the ones who have all the answers, but to serve and help other people so that we can build relationships with them and hopefully then bring them into our dotted circle at some point. So here's the deal. Without that dotted circle, it's very hard to help somebody come to find Christ. They need to experience the reality of Christ among the people of God. And so it's why, it's why the local church is so important. It's why your, your small groups are so important. It's why hanging out. So right now, and some of you have heard about this, right now, coming up in only about two months, um, eight of us men, a couple old farts, and a couple of bunch of young guys, we're going for a five-day canoe trip to the Boundary Waters for this purpose, to learn how to do it, to figure out what it is, because this is not like going to the KOA campgrounds. You know, uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere. If you break your leg, you're in trouble. So we've got two medical guys with us. We're going to go do it. You're, you're, you're portaging your canoes. We're going to portage six times. Matter of fact, we have a meeting right after church about it tonight, uh, today. Portage six times, carry all your junk, you know, um, suck water through a straw because you can't bring water in. You know, you've got to do all this different stuff. And we're learning it. You know why? So that next year, we'll have a group of people trained. And hopefully next year, we can take two groups. And there'll be food from our church, but guess what? Who else will be there? We'll try to keep a, at least a spot open in every one for somebody who does not yet know Jesus. Now, somebody, we were talking about this recently, and a mom said, my son will never come to church, but he'd go to the Boundary Waters with you. I ran a Christian bow hunt in, when I lived in the UP for, for a decade. I had ladies begging me to take their husbands hunting. I would take a week off every year, and I would take those, and I'd take one man, a group of guys that were Christians that I trusted, and I'd bring one or two guys that didn't know Jesus. And every single year, they'd give their life to Christ. Every year. Um, so we're hoping we're trying to launch this new thing with a, with this Boundary Waters thing, and uh, and so so it's gonna be it's gonna be cool, but it's a dotted circle. Uh, where, where the guys are going out are gonna be mentored and learn. It's gonna be a growth time for the guys in our church, but not just that. It's going to be hopefully one guy in each group. Won't know Jesus yet. And at the end, he'll go, you guys are really fun. That was awesome. Got to share about why you think the way you do. That makes sense. Hey, Jesus seems to be the right way. It's the dotted circle. Helping people come to know Jesus, the dotted circle is imperative. And so think about in your world how you can invite people into your world. Now, this also means this. In the dotted circle... Can you listen to me, all those who have known Jesus for a while? Don't be weird. (laughs) Got it? Don't be weird. There are certain things you don't want to talk about because they're not ready to hear about it yet. We talk about things here. We act certain ways here because we all get it. Don't spook people off if they're not ready to talk about certain things yet. So think about it. How would I act around these people Express the love of Jesus, but you're not in the close circle. So certain ways we act here that we don't act there. Doesn't mean we're being du- duplicitous. Doesn't mean we're being deceptive. No, it just means why would we talk about certain things and act certain ways if they don't understand that? And it might spook them up before they get to know us. That makes sense? So can you get that? Don't be weird. Right? So, why did the worship team come up this morning? 
on that very spiritual note. So Jesus looks at our world where so many, he says, remember, get back to the beginning, are confused and helpless. And he sends us to reach them. And what are some of the things it takes? It takes building a relationship on purpose with people who don't know the Lord. It takes listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It takes commitment over the long haul. It takes time. And it takes bringing them into your Christian community. Those are all important. All of these are involved in this. And what I notice is there are things that every one of us can do. Any one of us can build a relationship. Any one of us can learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and just say, I'm going to take a chance. Holy Spirit brought Bill's name to my mind. I'm going to call Bill. All of us can say, God, it's going to take some time. I'm going to commit to the time. And all of us can say, hey, i got a great group of friends here. I want to bring them into my, into my friends. And if you don't have a great group of friends yet here, we're a great place to become friends so that you have a group to bring them into. So let's give ourselves to what I believe is the heart of God, helping people find new life in Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for airing our lungs today. You've given us life. You've given us energy. You've given us purpose. Lord, we we see that, that you explain a world that looks helpless and dispirited, like people that are sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, as we look around at our world, it just feels like that is what the reality is today. There's a whole lot of people who are hopeless. We thank you that you are the hope. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, as we're leading up to this day one, Easter Sunday, here's my prayer for every one of us. Would you give us all the joy of being able to in some way be involved in your mission? of helping people come to know you. That, Lord, you'd lay people's hearts, their names on our heart, and we would just reach out to them and connect. Maybe maybe the period of time right now is just for connecting. And six months down the road is going to be a time for inviting, or maybe for somebody, as we've heard, so many people said, hey, I'll come on Easter. Lord, we just well, those, we don't we're not asking for that so that this building would be full. That's not our intention. Lord, the reason is because so many people in our lives don't yet know you. And we understand that that you created them to know you. And their life can never be complete, can never be whole without you filling that gap in their heart that only you can fill. And so, Father, would you, would you help us learn to hear your voice? This week, I ask for our church family, this week, that anyone who would say, I just, I just don't ever hear God, that this week, Lord, you would, just, you would just bring something into their mind, something, lay something, an idea on their heart. And they would be bold enough to act on it, to make that phone call, to talk to that person, and they would, be, it would just become obvious that that person would be like, wow, how did you know? 
and that we begin to understand that you're really speaking to us a lot. Lord, would you use us? Would you help us to be able to make a difference in this community and helping people come to know you? All for your glory, God. God, because our lives have been so changed by you we just want people to have what we've found. We know we don't earn, we didn't deserve it. We don't earn it. You've just come to us and you've changed our lives and you've given us new life in you and we're so grateful. We just want to share that with other people. And Lord, we live in a world where there's such misunderstanding. Let our lives shine so we can clarify that misunderstanding in you. here today we're in this moment of prayer and you're here today and you say well you know Pastor Mark you've been talking about of that person who needs to, to know Jesus maybe a friend brought you and you're saying you know in your heart that you're not really you know connected with the Lord. You've never come to him and said, I want to, I need to follow you. I'm going to turn away from my other life, my real, this old life, and I'm going to come to you for a new life. Have a day one where, where from this day forward, you're entering this world of being a follower of Jesus. The Bible says we come to Christ. He forgives our sins. He wipes away the past. Then he invites us to follow him. As our Lord, we follow him then. Maybe you're here today. You say, Pastor Mark, something's going on inside my heart. Something deep inside inside of me is going on, and, and I just know I need Jesus, and this is for me. And I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. Not even sure what that all entails, but I'm ready to say yes. If that's you, we're just having a private moment. Our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something just so I know to pray. I won't call you out or embarrass you, I promise you. But you say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus today. I want you to do something. I want you just to look up at me. I'm going to start with my left side, the sanctuary. Just look me right in the eye so I can see it, okay? else on my left. How about the center? You're in the center section of the church and you're saying over to my right. Okay. Number of people. You're saying yes this morning. I want to invite you to do something with all of us today. I just mean this from the depth of your heart. We're going to pray together. There's nothing magical about the words. We're just talking to God. Right now, you can talk to God. And the Bible says the only reason that you even feel compelled to say yes to the Lord is because the Holy Spirit is pulling you to himself, to God. So you're just responding to what God is doing in your heart. And so I want to help you respond. So I'm going to invite our whole congregation to, to just pray together out loud this morning. And those of you who said, looked at me and said, yes, today's my day. Today's my day one. 
I'm going to invite you to just to pray with our whole church family. So let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, I know that I need you. So today, I ask you to come into my life. Wipe away my past. Wash away my sins. And on this day, I give my life over to you. Lord, help me to walk with you. Help me to hear your voice. And so from this day forward, I want to walk with you, walk with you as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. You say that was just a simple little prayer. It wasn't simple at all. As I said, the Bible says you wouldn't even do that if the Holy Spirit wasn't already working in your heart. And so you saying yesterday, you're responding to God. And and I'm going to, first of all, tell you this, and I say this almost every week. The Bible says clearly that when one person comes to the Lord, it says that the angels in heaven celebrate. The Bible literally says, praise the Lord, literally says there is a celebration in heaven right now. And so we say this, welcome to your family. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to your family. And I'm going to challenge you to do something that today, before your head hits the pillow, I want you to tell somebody that you know is a follower of Jesus that's, hey, today I said yes to Jesus. Because that's going to, number one, make them really happy. Number two, it's going to say, okay, to them, it's going to alert them that they want to help you along the way. Because the Bible talks about the fact that it's a growing grow in Christ. And I tell you this, we've got 60 people now in the last couple weeks that have been trained in a thing called follow. That is a course, it's basics, the foundation basic principles of what it is to follow Jesus. The attributes of a Christ follower. And if you say, you know what, I think I'd like to, I'd like to learn some basic things about Jesus, you come talk to me or Pastor Paul and we'll, try, we'll hook you up with somebody that will walk through follow with you help you in your in your days with, to, to go forward with Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together.